Welcome to another episode of Follow the Brand. I am your host, Grant McGaw, CEO of Five Star BDM, a five-star personal branding and business development company. I want to take you on a journey that takes another deep dive into the world of personal branding and business development using compelling personal stories, business conversations, and tips to improve your personal brand. By listening to the Follow the Brand podcast series, you will be able to differentiate yourself from the competition and allow you to build trust with prospective clients and employers. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. Make it one that will set you apart, build trust, and reflect who you are. Developing your five-star personal brand is a great way to demonstrate your skills and knowledge. If you have any questions for me or my guests, please email me at grant.mcgaugh, spelled M-C-G-A-U-G-H, at 5star BDM, B for brand, D for development, M for masters.com. Now let's begin with our next five-star episode on Follow the Brand. Hello, and welcome to another episode on the Follow the Brand podcast. I am your host, Grant McGaw, and I want to open the show with a question. Have you ever wondered why you are in the profession that you are in? That is the question I propose to tap the ball, a healthcare professional in Jacksonville, Florida. Many of us struggle to make sense of our lives until we are able to step back and view the seasons of our career in a clearer light. Living in your truth brings you closer to your life's mission and reveals the unique gifts that you can in turn share with others. Tabitha Ball discovered her life's mission while growing up on a farm in Pensacola, Florida, which led her on a career path toward becoming a community healthcare leader. Listen as she tells a story about her passion to lift and help her community by creating a holistic village of care. Tabitha Ball serves as the Chief Operating Officer of Agape Community Health Center in Jacksonville, Florida. Tabitha's career expands over 25-plus years in healthcare with exceptional leadership experience in a variety of healthcare settings. Tabitha leads a multidisciplinary team of healthcare professionals promoting and providing healthcare services to the underserved and uninsured population of Jacksonville, Florida. She spearheaded the efforts to achieve the opening of seven healthcare centers across the city, creating opportunities for accessible healthcare services for all. Prior to her affiliation with Agape Community Health Center, Tabitha served in various roles at the Salzbacher Center, ending as the Director of Health and Human Service. In her roles, she served as a passionate community servant with the ability to motivate and inspire the homeless population in identifying their potential. She also led strategic efforts in establishing a foundation of appropriate resources through community partnerships that provided stable housing, life skills, and healthcare services for the homeless. With this ongoing quest to give, Tabitha has been able to promote significant positive change change in communities and individuals through advocacy empowered by compassion. Tabitha is active in numerous professional organizations 
including but not limited to the board of the Northeast Florida Continuum of Care with emphasis on coordinating the community's policies, strategies, and activities toward ending homelessness. Tabitha also serves on the Mayo Clinic Women's Health Advisory Board, strategizing in the enhancement of care of women in the community. Tabitha will be the president of the National Association of Healthcare Executives, NASI, for the 2021-2023 period. She is also a member of the American College of Healthcare Executives. A Florida native, Tabitha has a Bachelor of Business Administration from the University of North Florida and a Master's in Business Administration from Kaiser University. Let's give a warm welcome to Tabitha Ball on the Follow the Brand podcast, where we are building a five-star brand that you can follow. Welcome to another episode on Follow the Brand. We're going to take this show up north toward the Jacksonville, Florida area. There, I have a very special friend and colleague. Her name is Miss Tabitha Ball. She's been working in the healthcare leadership positions for a, a while now. And I wanted to bring her onto the show, talk to us about what's it like to be a healthcare leader in a cohort area? Because that's what's going on right now. She actually sent me some nice you know, kits that I needed for rapid testing on COVID. Say, hey, Grant, you're going to need these. Just so you know, it's very, very important for all of us to take care of ourselves during this COVID period. You just don't know how it's going to affect you or somebody in your family. So I really appreciated her for doing that. And she will be the incoming president for NASI Florida in the 2022 timeframe. So I want to welcome her to the show. So without further ado, let's get introduced to Miss Tabitha Ball. Good evening, Grant. Thank you so much for the invitation to be a part of the show. I'm actually excited about sharing my career goals and path that I, and my journey um, of where I've been and where I'm going. So let's talk about that. I mean, now we talked a little bit, and I know you're from the Panhandle and Pensacola originally. Don't so hold you, that against me. I, I I'm not. <laughs> I haven't been there. No no judgment here. And I know, you know, they're there in Florida and it's a warm weather place, but then you migrated from Pensacola over to Florida. Is it the healthcare industry that brought you over to Jacksonville or just give us a context of your little bit of your history? Sure. So, yes, I was born and raised in Pensacola, Florida. Um, most of my family lives in Pensacola and I also have people that lives in Alabama. And so I am a farm girl, um, believe it or not. Um, I assist with the cows that we had, um, the chickens that went on that were we had, and then the horses I was pretty much afraid of, but um, I, I did grow up doing those type of things. Uh, we had to go to the cotton fields, actually, and pick cottons and pecans because we would pick pecans because we actually got money for those. And so I really had an adventure growing up. I can actually truly say not to you know, say my age or anything, but I can actually truly say I know what it is to walk to the store that's three to four miles down the road because that's the closest door to the house. So I've had an experience of, of all of that growing up. So as I grew up in Pensacola, one of the things I did, you know, when I was younger, when I was 
about 13 growing up, my grandmother um, was a diabetic and she had to go through a, a series, a period of just trying to get her body to get customized to the medications that she was prescribed. And so I used to actually assist my grandmother in, in her injections um, for diabetes. And as I did that, you know, I, I got inquisitive and wanted to, to know more about what, what is this? Why do my grandmother some days have ups and downs? And what is it about her body or the chemicals or how she, what is happening within her body that is causing her to, you know, need this medication? And so as I grew up doing that, um, years later, of course, my grandmother passed away. And so one of the one of the first things I wanted to, you know, really do was to learn that trade. So I went to school as a medical assistant. And from the medical assistant, I was able to find employment at a dialysis clinic. And so the employment wasn't under the scope of a medical assistant. They actually just needed me to check patients in. And so I began doing that. And again, my mind and my the wheels were spinning. Like, why are people on dialysis? Like, what happens to cause renal failure? And so I went from being a receptionist to checking patients in to actually being a dialysis technician. And so as I as I became a dialysis technician, um, the job that I was working at, it it wasn't they they were considering not expanding and eventually they closed. And so at that time, I had a cousin that lived in Jacksonville, Florida. And she said, hey, you know, because our Jackson, Pensacola is a great place to stay if you're retired or if you're in the military. But outside of that, there was no opportunities for career or growth um, in the area that I wanted to grow in, which was medical. So I ended up in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, I lived with my cousin probably a couple of months before I, I branched out on my own. But I was able to find another opportunity in Jacksonville as a dialysis technician. And so Believe it or not, I was a dialysis technician for 17 years. And I did that under the scope of a RN and a medical doctor. So when the doctors did their rounds, I've all, I always made sure I was there to listen in, to kind of hear some of what treatment plans they had for the patients. And then also learn from some of the patients um, that were on dialysis their struggles and their challenges with being on the dialysis machine. Um, one of the things that I learned is that people, minorities, and I have to say minorities because that's who I worked, who I've worked with and, and have come accustomed to working with, but the education and the knowledge of being on dialysis, people end up on dialysis because they don't know. Like I had a, a, a patient she ended up with renal failure because she took a BC powder and drank a Coca-Cola every day. And that led to renal failure. But had someone told her that, or had she been educated on that, she would know the danger of doing that every day. So that, so with her story and a lot of other stories, um, it kind of made me want to then be an advocate for healthcare and want to do more our community and want to do more for the underserved and underprivileged um, patients that were receiving care. And so I went on from that point. Um, I was working, going to school, 
um, at the same time. So I was going to school at that time for registered nurse. Um, I end up going through the whole program of, of being a registered nurse. And for some reason, I couldn't pass microbiology. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, maybe this is not for me. But I continue to stay in that arena of um, being a dialysis technician. And I'm sure you can, it, this probably is believable, but I, as I was growing up, I worked two and three jobs. It was, it was not, um, it wasn't anything, you know, it's something I had to do, but anything that I did, I tried to stay within the scope of healthcare. And so I was working as a dialysis technician. And that's why I worked so long. I, I kind of weaned it out from them and became um, also a receptionist for a homeless shelter a homeless shelter that had uh, a place where women, children, and families, and single men would live. And on that property, on that campus, they also had a, a medical um, health center. It was a small health center at that time. And so eventually, you know, in that role, I branched out and became a case manager. Because again, my mind and my focus was on the community. I have a, a really passion for community and, and being able to help people understand and be knowledgeable about, you know, why are you in this situation? What could you have done different? I, I feel like I became a parent of the community, just wanting to lend that help and lend that knowledge to anyone that crossed my path so that because sometimes if you know better, you do better. And, and while you, you try to spread that knowledge across the spectrum, everyone may not receive it, but I'm going, I did everything I could to make sure, you know, people understood, um, at least if you're in this situation, what can I do to help? Or where, where, where can I um, help you focus? You know, where, what, how can I help steer your focus to being better, um, living better, being healthier, and so I became a case manager, then eventually ending up as a director of, of human and health services. And what that is, is I was a director over the homeless shelter and I was a director over the, um, the clinic. And so one of the things I learned in my path and in all my journey is that, you know, opportunities are, you know, opportunities are there. And so to me, though, it wasn't just about the opportunity. It was about the passion. I think the passion that I had in helping others is what drove me to where, to my current position. And right now I am the COO of a Gopi Family Health Center, which we have seven strong health centers that I oversee on a daily basis. And, and, and again, part of my career journey has been passion about passion, never about the money, it was really about the passion because when you truly find what you what your strengths are and, and your abilities and your passion, it actually it speaks for itself. And so my career path has been strictly on the foundation of passion. You have that that's a terrific story. Great intro into what you're doing. And I know now you work for a federally qualified health center. And most, I don't think a lot of people know exactly what that is and what its purpose is. If you could just help the audience understand what a FQHQ actually, or is it FCHQ? 
I always FQHC. Get those. Thank it's you. FQHC is a federally yes. qualified health center. And sure, um, a federally qualified health center is a health center that provides health care services to the underserved and the uninsured. It's a lookalike to any other doctor's office. While it's not necessarily a free clinic, it's a clinic to allow access to care for those that cannot get care because they don't have insurance or because their insurance is not accepted in most places. You know, working at an FQHC, the government, the federal government actually gives us funding to assist. And I have to say assist because it doesn't take care of the, the entire needs of the organization, but it does assist us to be able to care for the needs, again, of the community of people that don't have access to care. So we have individuals, for instance, undocumented aliens. I know people have their 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 different thoughts or their, their different opinions about people that don't live in America or don't have this here on a visa or may not or may be here illegally. But at the same time, these people still need help. They still need care. They got here. So we help them. And so these are these are kind of the target population of people that we serve. And, and again, it's to try to assist in the areas of, of, of disparities. I mean, there's so many people that don't take care of their health needs because they don't have access to health care. And so a, a FQHC is a platform to make sure everyone has that health care. You know, often we hear in politics, everyone have access to health care. Everyone, well, that's true in a sense. FQACs are here to make sure everyone have access to care, but there's so much more that could be done to make sure these individuals get the appropriate care that they need. Now, is there certain qualifications of that person? You know, if you're working or maybe you're underemployed, what's the criteria for qualifying to be able to come in and be accepted as a patient? So, so people that don't have insurance, for instance, um, they would come in. We have a sliding fee scale. So the sliding fee scale is in each FQAC is different, but we all have a sliding fee scale. And so you can range from anywhere from $20 to $50, but that's the most you're going to pay. And when you come in, you're getting lab work. You're getting to see a doctor. You're getting to, again, have that doctor follow up on the care and needs that you have. We also have a pharmacy um, available. And, and a part of the being an FQHC, we have what you call 340B medications or pharmacy. And what that do is allow us to get medications at a very discounted price so that it's affordable for patients that don't have insurance. It's affordable for people don't, that don't work. Um, an example, you may, you, you may be prescribed, I don't know, some diabetic medications, and, and it varies, but you may, you're only going to pay 5 or $10 for that medication. Whereas in a, if you went to a pharmacy outside of an FQAC, you're going to pay $200 for that same medication. And so, the you know, being an FQAC, they have that's, definitely have equipped us to be able to, to, to break down those barriers to care, to break down, you know, those mountains that people are trying to climb just to be healthy. And so in, in addition to that, one of the things that we focus on as the FQHC is making sure we take care of the whole person because it's not just about their health needs because sometimes health is put on the back burner because if I can't pay my rent tomorrow, but if I don't have food and I'm in survival, who cares about your health? 
you know, who cares? Why do I, why should I care about my health? I'm trying to actually find somewhere to stay. And so we don't look at just the health aspect. We look at the total person and whatever those needs are. We provide primary care service. We provide mental health service and we're, we're getting ready to onboard now dental. So one of the, one of the strategies of an FQAC is to become its own village, a village of care to be able to help, again, people that don't have the care. If there's a patient that is uninsured and, need, and, and having heart problems or, or having need, need surgery, well, we have places that they can go to without worrying about the cost of that surgery. So we do have providers um, in the community that, that do stuff for pro, pro bono under the FQAC umbrella. So again, we're here to try to uh, promote healthier lifestyles and living um, amongst our patients and in the community. That is a wonderful story and a great service for the underserved community. Uh, I think that's wonderful. And I wanted to ask you, because we've been in this COVID world now for a year and a half or, or more, what specific challenges? Because you talked about your passion. You definitely wanted to help people. It sounds like you had a lot of challenges around knowledge and just understanding. How has the COVID-19 epidemic, you know, affected your, your daily operations? Well, COVID has definitely been an intricate part of care. And I know one of the first things when the pandemic came out, everyone pushed over to telehealth. While telehealth is convenient for that moment, the challenge I have with telehealth is that you're talking to someone face-to-face as we are now, but they can have gangrene set up in their foot. You don't know it. They don't talk about it. You don't know. And I think telehealth is not for everyone. I think telehealth is people that are in tune with their bodies and in tune with their health, and they're empowered with their health. For instance, I can probably do telehealth because I'm, I'm tuned in. I feel like I'm healthy enough. And if something's wrong with me, I know I'm going to say that. But you have a community of people that telehealth is not the best platform for them. And so COVID, you know, we again, you had to do that because that's people was was afraid to leave their homes. And so we offered that on a scale of where we could, but yet trying to motivate the patient to at least come in one time and then three months later, you know, the other appointments can be follow-ups, but but we I had to put something together to where the appointments was not all telehealth. And whatever that looked like for that patient, if they were afraid to come, we would schedule them at a a time where there's really no patients coming in. But again, it's part of the passion and the drive to make sure people are educated and make sure people are not neglecting their health. But back to COVID, COVID has, we definitely had to do things different uh, with COVID because we wanted, while we're seeing patients, we want to make sure we were providing the safety measures. We wanted to make sure we provided, you know, social distancing when they come into office, making sure we sanitize behind patients. So it became very challenging. Uh, We were testing, um, even now, last week, we tested 3,000 people. And so there are a lot of positives that are still coming forth. And, and again, the, the biggest challenges was still yet education. You know, no matter how much they say on the news, social distance, or no matter how much they say quarantine. Do people know what quarantine means? 
Like, did they really know? We had patients that would show up and be positive and they'll make it to the back to the provider and say, oh, by the way, I'm positive. You know, so things like that makes me makes me want makes me believe that this individuals really don't understand what COVID is. They really don't understand quarantine. They don't really understand. OK, you pat, you could you're exposing people to COVID. And so we just had to, to think outside of the box, change the way, you know, we, we do things in the in health field. And the thing about COVID is it's deadly, of course, but we should we should um, make sure we do universal precautions no matter who we're, we're seeing. You don't know what an individual may have coming in. So while we were operating normally, but this, these are precautions we should already take. We should take these precautions every day. If, if it wasn't COVID, we should always take precautions to make sure the you know, germs and things are not spreading. But um, COVID has, has definitely been a challenge, but we have adapted to COVID and, and we still yet providing the testing and things that is needed to the community for free. Oh, I'm glad to hear that because I know it's been it's been tough. And me and you are part of a association, the National Association of Health Services Executives. I'm the immediate past president. You're the president elect coming in. And I wanted just to, to hear about what you feel about the organization. What's your vision coming in to 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 help? Because you're going to be over the entire state of Florida, kind of expands your reach. And I'm looking forward to that. Can, can you give us a little information, a little insight to what the Tabitha Ball era might be like? Well, Grant, first of all, I want to, when I first came to NACI, um, of course, um, Nicole Thomas, one of our um, executives here in, in Jacksonville, Florida, she is the um, actually the first African-American woman that became a CEO of a hospital. And so she invited me to participate and be a part of NASI. And of course, you know, with her as a mentor per se um, in my growth and development, because I'm really, I, I am really inspired, inspired about what she's done in the hospital system. And so, of course, if she's recommending something, I'm like, okay, let me, let me see what NASI is about. And then I met you, Grant, and the welcoming of being a part of NASI was overwhelming to make me want to, and it made me want to continue to be a part as a member of NASI. Um, then I went to, you know, out for to be the president of NASI, not, not really knowing if I was going to get <clears throat> elected or not, but wanted to be a part of it because I felt like NASI was something great. I felt like NASI was going to be something that was going to really expand and be good for the community. And, and because it started out in South Florida, the opportunity to, to engage and bring this platform to North Florida, which is Jacksonville, was I was excited about doing that. Now, in the back of my mind, we always have reservations like, OK, how am I going to challenge? How am I going to do this, be COO? And, you know, how, how am I going to make all of this work? Well, one of the things, and I talk about my my vision in a second. One of the things, and this is part of my vision, is team. You have to incorporate. Hopefully, select a, a, a good team is selected. First of all, the board, but but being able to speak to the team 
that has been elected and, and sit down with them and talk through some of the strategies, some of the ideas that I have, because NASA is bigger than just a president. It is, it is definitely something that we are all in this together type of um, mentality to where we need to work together for the, for the betterment of the minorities that are, are gravitating to NASA and became members. If they became members, they're looking for something. This episode is brought to you by Five Star BDM. Five Star BDM is a professional consulting and advisory group keenly focused on business development services for small to mid-sized businesses and entrepreneurs. Although every business is unique, they often share challenges that can be addressed through smart branding. Services include process improvement in operations, digital strategy and transformation, business intelligence, digital marketing, and personal branding. Our five-star business and personal branding company has helped a number of professionals and organizations to optimize and grow. The result is more business, more opportunities, better reach, positive outcomes. Please visit www.5starbdm.com to learn more and view all the episodes of Follow the Brand. So we want to make sure what they're looking for, we're able to bring that to the platform and be able to deploy those those different things. And so my vision is first to develop a a survey in in the very beginning of my presidency to see what type of responses I would get, because I would love to know anytime you deploy something or you try to, to incorporate something into even at my job, it's not just my idea. I get the, the ideas from the team and we all talk through that together. And so as a member, what does a member look for? Why, why did you join? What are some of the things you would like to see? I would love to build on some of the thoughts and, and, and some of the um, suggestions or recommendations from the members of NASI. But one of, the, one of the things I really want to make sure we have available is young professionals. When I first started my career, I had no idea. I knew what I wanted. I knew what my passion was, but I didn't know how to begin my journey, nor did I know how to, you know, where my journey would end. I just knew that I loved helping people. At that time, I wish I would have had a mentor because I feel like, and and I think a lot of times we look up and we've aged, we look up and we're a year older and it's like, okay, what happened the last few years. But if you have someone at that very beginning, when you're, when you're starting school, when you we have that fire lit, if you have someone to kind of give you some a little direction or just a, a nudge and say, hey, you probably want to do that, they will become great really soon versus looking up 30 years later. It's like, okay, what I do with my time? Let me do this. Let me do this. Let me do this. What well, time has passed. And so one of the things I really want to develop with the young professionals is a mentorship program. I want to solicit hospitals because right now hospitals have fellowships. They call people fellows. They do. I would love to mimic. And so I'm I'm actually researching that with some of my colleagues that work in hospitals to see how we can have a fellow program. And from that fellow program, being able to get these individuals to become mentors 
for our students that are in, in college, that are in the healthcare sector, being mentors to for them to be able to call and say, hey, I'm doing this, but what, you know, what should I be doing while I'm in school? What, what is the best thing to do once I graduate? Like being able to hear from someone that is actually is doing the work, I think is great. So one of the one of the first things I want to start developing is a mentorship program uh, for the young professionals. I want to be able to have conferences to where some of our great CEOs and leaderships can come in and speak on certain topics. So I would, you know, along with the board, we, we would develop a curriculum, an educational curriculum for that as well. And um, the biggest thing, though, is community, community advocacy for our minority population. Although we have members that are part of NACI, but how do we get people involved that can help minorities or people that, again, that's not educated, you know, in the health sector, you're dealing with health, right? So how do we capitalize on that to better educate our community or people that are suffering with diabetes or people that are suffering with hypertension? How do we as NACI bring this to the store, to the front of people's mind and focus? Because there are many groups that are out there that we join and that we do but who can tell the story of the minorities and what people are dealing with and their challenges better than Nazi because that's what we do. And so those are just a few things that I'm just, you know, my, my, my mind is spinning. And again, the more I think about it, the more I'm grateful for the opportunity to be the Nazi president. And the more I get excited about what we can do as a team. And again, it's not, not just me and the board and the committees, but also getting some of the members involved and how do we deploy and how do we help our community? Well, well said, well studied. And you've already, you've already started because you rolled out a series called Reimagine. And I know that was on the hills because we've had COVID. We haven't had as many in-person events. People have been pretty much shuttered for almost a year, year and a half or so. And you wanted to get a fresh message out there. Can you just tell the audience a little bit more about that series and what you what you're looking to accomplish? Sure. So the first series, the first event was basically to just let people know, hey, Nazi's here. We've been through a pandemic. We haven't really been visible, but we're here. And we're we're looking to get restarted, reimagine, like how do Nazi adapt to the new world or the changes because we we're in a new world and, and, and things are different. So how do NACI ad adapt to that and how do we we carry our members um, through that cycle of, of the new? <laughs> um, so that was the first series. The second series where we're, we're going to be doing branding. Branding is very important as an individual. We don't often think about branding um, we, we, we put our CVs together, we apply for positions, but what is our brand? And, and again, Grant, that's something I started thinking about when I met you, I didn't think about branding. It's like, you know, and I'm still in my mind, I feel like I have such a broad spectrum of what I want to accomplish and who I am as an advocate, but what is my true brand? 
And I and I want to yet identify what my true brand is. Yes, I'm a COO and soon to be CEO. Um, but what is my brand really? I have the passion. Again, I'm an advocate. But who am I as a person? If someone walked up to me in 20 minutes, can I sum up who I am? <laughs> you know, and you want to be able to do that because when you walk in interviews, people need to know your brand, not your resume, not your experience. They need to know your brand. And so I'm looking forward to this new segment that, that we're going to be doing with you hosting Grant on September the 22nd. I'm looking forward to hearing, again, some of the insights, because, again, I truly want to continue to establish my brand. You know, I went into pictures. I did a photo shoot. I did a lot of things, but I'm still like, what is my brand? <laughs> you know, I love what I do, but what is my brand? And I want to be able to sum up in 20 seconds or less what my brand is and who I am. And that's, I'm glad you said that. And that, that goes into you know, my company, Five Star BDM, Brand Development Masters. It's not that simple to just state your brand. You might have it where it's a little you know, two-dimensional, but you've got to go three dimensions and maybe even four. You, you've got to take it past the superficial, the physical side, look at yourself emotionally, mentally, spiritually, look at your activity, look at your time that you've put into your career, the time that you put into your, your family and your personal relationship. Look at that activity and take a look at the character. If you can step outside of your roles and if you saw yourself in these roles, like a character on television, what is that character? What is that character about? What is that character doing? Because I tell everyone, you might be able to see yourself when you look in the mirror and you're really seeing 90, maybe 120 degrees of yourself, but you're 360 degrees. People see 360. So you're going to get, as you do the work of, of really going deep and developing and, and under really becoming your brand and understanding who you are. Because if you find out that... Yes, you do have a brand. That's number one. I would tell anybody you do have a brand, but is that the brand that you want to be perceived as? So you might have to go through a rebranding. So that other 240 degrees that other people see, you need to get that information. And the only way you're going to get that information is from telling people. I like how you said earlier, doing a survey as you come in, because a body like a association has a brand as well. And has and people have another, uh, a certain expectation when they engage with that brand. So the same thing with yourself. Okay. People have an expectation when they uh, engage with you because they're going to get some awareness. And what a lot of people are, some people are struggling with now is that because we live in this digital age, they're going to gain that some brand awareness about you through your digital profile. And if you have not managed it properly and not put the correct story, people will fill in the blanks on their own. And that's right. what happens. You know, right. so they lose perception. So you want to be able to tell the narrative, even when you're not in that room. You tell the narrative as they search Twitter or they search LinkedIn or they search Instagram or Facebook and that type of thing. That's the simplest, easiest, quickest way people will get information about you. But you can control that narrative and control that story, but you have to be intentional about it. 
But in order to do that, to do it properly, you need to go through a, a curriculum. And that's what I offer, personal branding, right? So people say, well, what is that? Well, I have to ask you, what do you want to accomplish? What are you looking to, to, to become? And let's take a look at that. You say, well, I'm not sure. Well, most people aren't. So let's take you through a series of exercises to get you to a point where you start to truly understand who you are. And then when you begin to project your own self on your own personalized website, that story is now concrete and told and is told in a collaborative effort by working with me and my team. So hopefully that gives you a better understanding of, of, of what that can be like. But it is a process. Definitely. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go through that process to really, because like you said, and it was great that you just used an example as a cartoon pr- character. I mean, you got Superman, you got Iron Man. <laughs> That's their brand. Yeah, yeah. and they have their and superpower, so, right? They right. each have their own superpower. Exactly. No one has the exact Unique same power. Exactly, exactly. Right. So I love that that illustration that you pointed out, and it gives me to think it a little bit more. Okay, who am I? <laughs> yeah, you have a superpower. Yeah, if you've, you know, a lot of people have tuned into some of my past episodes. We talk about that. Some CEOs and they talk about, well, you know, what have I leveraged time and time again that was, um, it gave me a, a an edge. It gave me an edge because I was really, I mastered, I was a master in this area and I had a superpower in this r- arena. You know, Andrea Price, she talked about her, it was influence. She, she was very good and influencing people and her team. She had a very good knack you know, for doing that. And I have found a lot of leaders, and I'm sure you probably do as well, that you, first of all, you lead by example, right? right? And you are able to build relationships uh, across a collaborative platform. So, so you're not okay. forcing people to do things, you are inspiring people to do things. Big right. difference. Right. right, right, right. Wow, you right. are an inspiration. So I'm looking for forward me. to the branding um, <laughs> event. I'm actually really looking forward to it. Yeah, and then you have another one coming on after after that, correct? Correct. So the third series is going to be um, really talking about the future of Nazi and some of the things that I've already mentioned. I plan to discuss that, but I also. One of the biggest things I want to be able to do on that platform, and I'm waiting on them to get back with me, is to bring ACHE in on that platform to talk about their collaboration with NASI as we go into 2022 and, and, and that in that year and how what that looks like for members. Um, so I'm having some discussions about that now, but and I know we have a new national um, president that was executive that, that, director. That, yeah. Executive director that's coming on board. And so I would love to tie, you know, of course, mimic her, you know, tie the vision in that, that, that she, what she wants in for, for, for Florida as well. And so some of what she is planning to do would also be impactful to what we want to do. So, but the last series, I'm just really putting together a platform to where people kind of know what we're doing next year, because I would love to drive more memberships. And so I'm strategizing within my my thoughts of what 
what does that look like for, you know, again, the next two years and how do we drive memory? Because what I said I, I, I want to really do and what I envision is what I plan to do. It's not just talking whatever resources I need to incorporate or, or bring on board. I plan to do that. You know, I have um, Darren Brownlee, um, who's going to be the parliamentarian for NASI next year. He is a very good supporter. And we have established to where we would have calls um, monthly to be able to just talk through what some of the events are going to look like, what some of the um, some of the things that we can do and offer the members as they come on board. So, again, I'm excited. I think um, nothing is, is, is not realistic. So it, the bigger I think, the bigger it could be. So I, I'm not going to the sky's the limit. Right. So I'm thinking big. Um, and hopefully that, you know, and I know that everything that I'm, I'm thinking is going to, it's just networking. Networking is going to be the biggest key to the success of NASI and being able to let the next two years be great for that next president that's coming in. So again, I'm looking forward to expanding. I'm looking forward to getting a membership and, 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 and an board and committees that, that have the same mission and drive and passion that we can all just work together to, again, do the best we can for our community. I think that's wonderful. I can't wait until the uh, new <laughs> regime uh, kicks in. I would say we're already on, on that on that track, but it's happening now, and that's wonderful. So we're going to wrap up. But before I leave you, I want to, because I know there's people out there, and I want you to address this person specifically. And that is that healthcare professional. And I love your story that you started out as the receptionist. And now here you are, the chief operations officer and soon to be a CEO at some point, right? And you want to talk to that individual. It's like almost going back in time. If you had something to say to Tabitha Ball, you know, those years ago when she was a receptionist, what would you say to her to inspire her to become a healthcare leader? I would say to her, when you enter into an organization, if you if you are if you're getting your degree and you already have in your mind what you want to do, you have to start acting out what you want to do. When you go into an organization, don't frown upon entry level positions. That entry level position can add growth and development to you as a person, and you have to go in learning what happens from the front of that organization to the back of that organization. Don't wait till you graduate to get these type of tools and this, and this knowledge under your belt. You start performing as though you have the degree. You don't wait. You start performing immediately because time is time. <laughs> and, you know, as I said earlier, you'll look up and 10 years has passed and what have you done? I feel like had I known some of these things early on, I would have been a CEO at 30 years old, had I known. And so while I don't despise small beginnings and, and where I am now, I just know that if I had known what I know now, I would have been a CEO <laughs> a long time ago and probably have, you know, have a, a lot of accolades under my belt. But I'm, 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 I'm still striving. I'm still young-minded. And so I plan to continue my journey but i but again i would say 
start performing what you want to be now. Don't wait to someone show you or tell you what would you do if you were CEO? How would you respond? How do you act? How do you gain your professionalism? How do you brand yourself? Like incorporate all those tools while you're in school. Do it now. Well, I can't agree with you more on that. that that's a wonderful statement. So if the audience were looking to get in touch with you, what's the best way to get in touch with Tabitha, Tabitha Ball? So someone wants to get in touch with me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm glued to my work email. However, um, until I get my NASI email together, I would say that you can, you can always email me at my work email. And that work email is Tabitha. I spell my name T-A-B-A-T-H-A, last name Ball. So it's Tabitha.Ball, B-A-L-L, at Agape, A-G-A-P-E, familyhealth.org. So it's like Agape Love. Um, I'll be happy to respond. I'll be happy to give any information or any questions you may have. I am here because that's what my passion is. So feel free to reach out to me at any time. I will respond. Well, I thank you very much for being a guest on the show today. Uh, I look forward to the airing of this episode, which will be out before you know it. And you can (laughs) tune in. Be sure to tune in again to all the episodes on Follow the Brand on my website at www.5starbdm.com. But you can also tune in on all the different podcast stations, whether it's Spotify, iTunes, and a hundred others, I believe, that are, are, are out there. And remember, we are building a five-star brand that you can follow. So thank you very much for tuning in. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.